The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. You know, recently I was, uh, not long ago I was at a, uh, the dentist, and um, I walked in there, I, I sat down on the, the dentist chair, and uh, I remember thinking, you know, I extend a lot of trust to this person, okay? And the, the dentist walks in, and the first thing, you know, I'm just sitting there, you know, I'm on this chair just waiting, and eventually the dentist walks in, and there, there's the tray, right? And they put down all the instruments on the tray. And I'm just like, you know, I've been to the dentist since I was a kid, pretty consistently. And I'm looking over at the actual instruments there on the, on the tray, and I'm like, look, if I had never been here before, these are like really intimidating, okay? Like there's some real pointy ones. There's like a little hook one, okay? And they're all metal. They're all stainless steel right there. And I'm looking at them and I'm, I'm thinking like, man, this guy comes, he drops down all these instruments. He's like a Bond villain about to torture someone, okay? With all these different weird things. And then he, he, he leans me way back and then, and then he says very calmly. I mean, almost like, now as I started to think about it, I'm like, it's like, you know, like deadly calm. He's like, now just open your mouth. And I'm thinking like, okay, like, man, if I hadn't been here this many times, I mean, like with all these torture devices, that is, I'm extending a lot of trust. I mean, anything could happen next. I mean, I don't know if you've gotten the x-rays at the dentist, but that is, if you think about that's terrifying. Okay. The first thing they do is they, they put like, they put armor on you. Okay. They put like this blanket over your torso. That's like Kevlar. All right. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, the fact that I need a bulletproof vest tells me that what's about to happen cannot be safe. Okay. So I, I know that my chest is, is safe. Okay. And then they bring out this contraption and they bring it right up to my face. Like it, it's almost touching my face. I'm thinking to myself, okay, we needed to protect my torso. What about my face? Like, how come I don't need like a helmet or something? This is right up on my face. And then to prove that it's not safe, the dentist leaves the room to press the button. They put the room outside because it's not safe for the dentist to be in there. And I'm thinking, man, I, I don't even know what this thing is sending into my face, into my head, but I know it can't be totally safe. And so I began thinking like, what if this was the first time I had ever gone to the dentist? And what if I didn't even, had never even heard of the dentist before, this would be a really intimidating experience. And that's when I realized I am not mature enough to be a dentist. Like there is no way that I, I am mature enough because if I would sit down and I knew it was someone's first time, like I, I'd have to mess with them. Okay. Like I'd put down all the instruments and I would say, Hey, yes, there's nothing to worry about. And then I just, I just add a couple, you know, like a hammer, some pliers, okay, a five iron, you know, just, you know, maybe just to get the question like, hey, um, yeah, what do you need with the blowtorch? Like, why do you have that there on the tray? Like, I'd have to mess with them. When we sit down on a dentist chair, if it wasn't for the fact that we know who he is, what his job is, if it wasn't for the fact that we've been to the dentist before, I mean, we extend that individual a lot of trust. If it had been your first time in the dentist chair and you sit down, man, Anything could happen at that point. He could do anything to you and to your mouth. It is wide open, the possibilities, and you have no idea what to expect. It could be a completely unpredictable experience. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the era that we are in. We are in a very 
unpredictable era. I mean, it's hard to know what to expect. We, it's hard to know what is going to come next in the season that we're in. And I caught myself thinking about the idea of predictability and not knowing what's coming next. And I found myself thinking about that and really just part of me was just longing to get back to predictable. I found a part of me just like, man, man, I, I would love to just get back to what I know what's familiar, what's expected, what's predictable. Like I would love to just get back to that place. So how do you get back to predictable? Well, we're going to talk about that. And here in part one of our series, Follow Me, we're going to look in the book of Mark. And I want you to open to Mark chapter one. We're going to look starting in verse 16, Mark chapter one, verse 16. Now, let me just give you the context. The book of Mark is one of the gospels. It's one of the books of the Bible known as the gospels. The four gospels in the beginning of the New Testament are the four biographies of the life and ministry of Jesus. They're written by uh, eyewitnesses or people that walked very closely and interviewed eyewitnesses. And so Mark um, is writing this. And at this point, this is chapter one. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, and now has moved to Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. And in this, in this time, he's already begun a teaching ministry. They're starting to draw crowds to him as a teacher. And he's already started to do miracles. There's already this rumor of these miracles that he's starting to do. And so he's beginning, people are beginning to talk, I'm sure, especially in Capernaum and in that surrounding area. And so we pick it up in Mark chapter one. We're going to start in verse 16. Here's what it says. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon And Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now let's just stop there for a second. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. It's really a large lake. And it's especially known for the fishing there. It is a great place to fish, one of the major industries. And so he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. There's going to be fishermen all over the place. There's going to be boats everywhere with fishermen casting their nets. Now, this is pre-fishing pole, okay? So the way that they are fishing is they're casting nets into into the sea and pulling the fish in. So he's walking along and it says this, it says he sees, now that's going to end up being a key word in this text. He sees Simon and Andrew, their brothers, their fishermen, they're casting their nets. He stops them, he sees them, and then he's going to call to them. He calls them and says, follow me. Now that might seem strange. We'll talk about what that means in just a moment. He says, follow me. And then he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to become fishermen of people is essentially what he's saying in the original language there. Now, what is this follow me language? This is very interesting. And the phrase follow me is recorded in all four of the gospels. So this is one of those key phrases that Jesus used a lot. He became famous for this phrase, 
follow me. All four of the biographers in the Bible talk about Jesus using this phrase. So it's a significant phrase. It's what we're digging into in this series. He says, follow me. Now, here's what you you need to know. Jesus is starting to teach. There's starting to be a crowd that is following him. And so he is starting to be known as a rabbi. He's going to get referred to as rabbi. Now, typically what would happen is when there's a rabbi, if he's traveling around teaching, followers would come to him. And if you wanted to follow a rabbi, you would listen to their teaching, pick which rabbi you wanted to follow, and you would follow that rabbi until you felt like the rabbi taught you everything he could, or you find another rabbi that you, that you want, but you choose the rabbi. The rabbi is too busy studying the scriptures or the, the law or whatever it is he's teaching. He, he just, as long as there's a crowd, he's teaching them. What Jesus does here is unprecedented. Rabbis did not do this. This is something, if people are starting to put Jesus in their mind in this time period as a rabbi, which is one of the ways he was known, that's one of the paradigms they put Jesus in. He basically breaks out of that paradigm and does something that rabbis didn't do. People chose their rabbis. Rabbis did not choose their people. Jesus turns this around. This is something not only rabbis didn't do, but prophets would sometimes have followers as well. And Almost without exception, prophets also never did this. They didn't go looking, they didn't go asking people to follow them. Jesus says, follow me. And what they, and he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. We'll come back to that in just a second. What it says is, this is then what they did. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now let's just think about this for a second. Uh, It doesn't say they left their boats. It says they left their nets. Why? Because you can fish without a boat. You could stand on the shore and cast nets. The nets are the key. I mean, the nets are the livelihood. They, if you don't have nets, you're not catching fish. They left their nets behind. That's incredible because in this time period, I mean, almost certainly Simon and Andrew, their father almost certainly was a fisherman and almost certainly His father was a fisherman and his father was a fisherman. These two have been groomed probably for generations to be fishermen. That they're just following. This is what they trained all their lives to for. This is what they had prepared for. This is what they had dreamed about. This is the thing that they had been working towards all their life. And now they're taking these nets and they're leaving them behind. They're leaving their source of provision behind. They're leaving the way they make a living behind. They're leaving all that they know behind. They're leaving all that, that they're comfortable with behind. They're, and, and beyond that, they're leaving something else even more fundamentally behind. Because Jesus says, and Jesus is subtly addressing this. He's saying, follow me. Leave what you're doing and follow me. And he says, I will make you fisher, essentially in the Greek, fishermen of men, fishermen of people. He doesn't just tell them what they're going to go do. In fact, he doesn't tell them what they're going to do. He tells them who they're going to be. Them leaving their nets behind, if they're going to leave their nets behind, they're leaving their identity behind. Jesus is giving them a new identity. He says, I'm going to tell you who you are. I'm making you into something else. They're leaving all of that behind immediately 
to simply follow Jesus. Now, why would they do that? That is, man, that is the question right there. Why would they do this? Well, it's, is it because Jesus told them where he's taking them? Hey, follow me because I'm going to take you someplace incredible. Nope. In fact, he doesn't even tell them where they're going. When he says, follow me, he doesn't tell them because it's going to be good. He doesn't tell them because it's going to be bad. He doesn't say it's going to be easy or comfortable or difficult. All he says is, follow me. They follow him and it's wide open, unpredictable. It is open-ended. He just says, follow me. And they follow him. Now let's pick it up. Let's look at what happens next. Because there's more in this text. Jesus isn't done on the shores of, of Galilee. Pick it up in verse 18, uh, verse 19, excuse me. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who are in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So on that shore, he's called Simon and Simon's brother, Andrew. Now he's called James and James' brother, John. He's called two sets of brother, two brothers, two sets of fishermen to follow him. And it's the same framework both times. It says, just like it says, he saw Simon and Andrew. Now it says, he saw James and John. Now let me, let me remind you, there is a lot of fishermen out there that day. But there's two that he gave notice to. There's two sets that he gave notice to. Two sets of brothers that he gave notice to. He saw them. He called them. And it says they left something behind. And they followed him. But what did James and John leave behind? In, in their case, it says they left their father behind. They left their father and followed Jesus. Now this should not be interpreted as they've turned their back on Jesus. Because remember, Jesus is a rabbi. There would be great respect for rabbis. He's gaining uh, notoriety, even though he's an unconventional rabbi without pedigree. He's getting notoriety, and this rabbi is calling them. He's asking them to follow him. And so this should probably be interpreted as, as Zebedee is probably, you know, thrilled at this prospect. We're not really told, but this is not to be looked at as they're turning their back on their father. But this is costly in the same way. It's costly for Simon and Andrew to leave, to drop their nets and leave them behind. This is costly for James and John to leave their father behind. Who are they leaving behind? They're leaving the one who's influenced them all their lives. They're leaving behind the one who's, who's trained them all their lives. They're leaving the one who's given them their name because in that time period, your last name was the name of your father. They would have been known as James Bar Zebedee, son of Zebedee. John Bar Zebedee, John, son of Zebedee. They're leaving their name behind. They're leaving their identity, again, leaving their identity behind to go and to follow Jesus. There's some interesting things in here. First, we see that Jesus sees them. He calls them, but we learn that to follow Jesus meant that they had to leave something behind. It was costly. They couldn't follow Jesus and stay where they were. They couldn't follow Jesus and stay who they were. They couldn't follow Jesus and rely on the same things. They couldn't follow Jesus and stay in the same predictable environment that they were in. 
He calls them to follow him open-ended. Why, why would they possibly do that? Well, for starters, it's because of who he is. They knew him as a rabbi. I mean, what a, an honor for a rabbi to ask you to follow them. But more than a rabbi, I mean, he was working miracles. He was a miracle-working rabbi. I mean, that could mean he's a prophet. Wow, this is exciting. I mean, following a prophet. I mean, what the prophets in the Old Testament did. I mean, they worked miracles. There were crazy things that prophets did in the Old Testament. Man, that'd be incredible to follow him, but there was more. Man, could they, could they dare hope that this is not just a rabbi and a prophet, but this is the one? The one they've been waiting for, the, the Messiah, the son of David, the heir that they've been waiting for that's going to restore the kingdom uh, that God set up, is going to restore the throne of David forever. Could this be the one who's going to crush their enemies? I mean, they were hoping that maybe, just maybe, this was the Messiah. But, but who is this one? Who is this one that just called them to follow him? I mean, they couldn't possibly have realized the gravity of who this was. This was not just a rabbi and a prophet. This was the Messiah. But this was the son of God himself who came to be the Messiah. This was God in the flesh. Could they possibly have realized that this one right here, that this one is the one who all the world was created through? And it's upholding the universe itself. It is God in the flesh. And of all the fishermen that day, he saw them. And he said, follow me. I mean, in, incredible. I mean, he saw them. And that's got a power to it to be seen. I mean, there's power when you're seen. I mean, uh, what's the power of, of being seen? Well, just ask a, a teenage girl the first time a boy notices her. When she feels noticed for the first time, I mean, there's a dangerous power in that. What's the power of being seen? Just ask the, a lonely spouse the first time someone other than their spouse notices them and they feel noticed. I mean, there's a scary power and being seen. They were seen, not by a rabbi, not just by a prophet, not just by the Messiah. They were seen by the Son of God. He saw them and he called them. He called them to follow him. Who is this that, that saw them? I mean, that's still a big ask. Well, he knows what he's, he's asking because this is the one who had left his father, the son of God. And he left what was familiar to him, left his crown, his throne, left heaven to come to us, to gather us to himself. He calls them to follow him and it's going to be costly. How could they possibly give up that cost? But think about it. If he is who they think and they hope and they wonder about how could they possibly have considered it even costly? I mean, what, what are they giving up their identity? Well, he's giving them a new identity. 
He's calling them. He's going to call them his apostles. He's going to call them his disciples. He's going to give Simon a new name. He's going to call him Peter. He's going to call him Rock because out of his mouth came the very truth he's going to build his church on. He's actually going to do even more than they could possibly imagine. It. He's going to make them new creatures. He's going to lead, make them born again. He's, they're going to leave their old identity behind and he's going to give them an identity they can't even fathom. I mean, what are they really giving up? They, they giving up the, the, the provision that nets can provide? What does Jesus need? If you're following Jesus, you don't need nets because you're following the one who calls fish, who controls the fish in the sea and calls the fish into nets. You're following the one who's going to feed 5,000 people, more than 5,000 people with one lunch of a couple loaves and some fish. He doesn't need nets to go catch more fish. He's going to turn these few fish into enough to feed the multitude. So if you're following him, if you're with him, you don't need nets anymore. They're following him open-ended. Well, what could they possibly be afraid of? They're going to follow the one who calms storms and commands it to stop in its tracks. I mean, what could they fear? Not even death itself because they're following the one that raises the dead back to life. What does it really cost them to follow Jesus? See, what they learned is, yes, there's a cost to following Jesus, but they're following this one this son of God, this Messiah, this provider, they're following the one who saw them. He saw them. He met them where they're at, saw them, and they followed after him. What does this mean for us? You know, the, the word here um, for disciple, he's calling his disciples, is the ancient Greek word mathetes. And so this gives us a picture on what it means to be a mathetes, a disciple. It, this is what it means to follow Jesus. There's a, a paradigm here that we have to learn. It's, we realize we're seen by Jesus. He's calling us. We, leave, we have to leave something behind and we follow after him. You know, we talked about, uh, and when we began this time of Bible study, we talked about predictability. And we were talking about, man, we, we, we sung about it, we worshiped about it, the, the, the desire to find something steadfast in this unpredictable season. And, you know, th that draw, that desire, how do we get back to things being predictable? Well, you know, I'm not even sure that's possible with life. I mean, maybe you can find a method of life that is very uninterruptible and very, very predictable. But this I do know for sure, that to follow Jesus that's to completely surrender predictability. Following Jesus means surrendering and leaving predictability behind because he just gives us two words, follow me. And that's an open-ended call. We don't know where that's gonna lead. But you know, in a season of unpredictability, when we can get back to the simplicity of, you know, I, I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know what's gonna happen in this season. Maybe you're just realizing that even though you and your spouse are working, you're also educating your kids at home. Man, I don't know how to do this. 
Maybe you're saying, I just lost my job. I, I don't know, I, I don't know how, how I'm going to find a job. I don't know how to provide for my family. Maybe you're saying, look, I, I, I don't, I'm trying to go to school. I was going to go to school, but now I'm, I can't go on campus. Or, or maybe you're saying, look, I, 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 I want love to find a spouse one day, but now I'm, I'm stuck at home quarantined. Like, how am I going to navigate being single in a time period like this? Or how do we navigate just the, the unpredictability of feeling so lonely in a season like this? Well, there's comfort in the simplicity of just following him. Just hear the, the two words, just follow Jesus. And I want you to hear what he's saying. He's, he's saying, follow me. Follow, we're following Jesus, following a person. It's not just following a set of principles. It's not just follow the teachings of Jesus. It's not following principles. It's following a person. You say, well, you're telling me to follow a person that lived a long time ago. A long time ago. You're telling me to follow a person I can't see. How do I follow a person that lived a long time ago that I can't see? Well, first of all, just because he lived a long time ago doesn't mean he's dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. Jesus is our living hope. Jesus ascended to heaven, but he is alive. And just because we can't see him doesn't mean that he's not here. Because what he says is that he is here with us and he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is here. We're called to follow a person. And so what that might mean is that we have to leave behind our plan to follow a person. We might have to leave behind our path to follow a person. We might have to leave behind what we thought our purpose was to follow a person. We're following a person and it's so simplistic. But it takes faith. How do we have faith? We have to know who he is. He's one who sees you. Do you know that that Jesus, that son of God, that Messiah, do you know that he sees you? Here's what the Bible says. It says before a word is on your tongue, he knows it completely. Do you know that he sees you right there in the moment that you're in? You know that he, 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 he knit you together in your mother's womb. He sees everything about you and who you are and what makes you, you. He sees it. It says before a day of your life happened, he knew every single one of, of the days of your life. He knows every hair on your head. He sees you. He knows you. And what else did he say? He said, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He says that he will be with you even until the end. He sees you. And if you're watching this right now, it's because he has arranged this moment and he's saying, come and follow me. I, I'm calling you. Just follow me. He sees us. And so that leaves us with the, uh, with the question of, are we going to drop our nets to follow after him? Well, what, what, what are our nets? You know, what's interesting is there are things that we see about ourselves. Andrew and, and Simon and John, John and James saw themselves as fishermen. That's how they saw themselves. There's things about us that we see about ourselves and so because there's that attribute, that's that thing that we want to believe about ourselves, what we tend to do is we tend to spend our lives trying to prove that that attribute is true. So maybe you see yourself as 
I see myself as being a successful person. So then we spend our lives trying to prove that we're a successful person. I see myself as a beautiful person, or maybe I see myself as a popular person, or I see myself as an important person, or I, I, I see myself as a wealthy person, or I see myself as an intelligent person. And so we see ourselves that, and then because of that, we need to then spend our lives proving that that attribute is true. And really what we mean by that is we want, to, we see ourselves as that, we want to prove it so that we're seen as that by someone else, so that other people, we've proved to them, they see us as successful or beautiful or wealthy or intelligent or valuable or popular. We want to be seen as that. But man, the first step in following Jesus is we realize he's seen you. He knows you. He sees you. He sees who you are. He knows everything about you. He knows your whole story. He sees you. And he says, I love you. I came to die on the cross to pay for your sins, to reconcile you to God. I came to save you and I want you to follow me. He sees you. And when we are deeply satisfied by the fact that he knows us, he sees us, we're not isolated and alone. We're, our identity is not left up to what we can accomplish. He sees us. He gives us a new identity, a new, a new sense of value. He sees us when we know that, then we no longer have to prove an attribute about our lives. We already know we're seen and now we spend our lives proving his attributes. We spend our life now that he can be seen. Instead of exhausting ourselves trying to be seen as something, let's know that we're seen and spend our lives proving who he is, that he and who in all of his glory may be revealed. We can reveal Jesus that he might be seen. Leave those nets behind and follow Jesus. What's that net that you're clinging to? for your sense of identity? Is it success? Maybe it's some plan that you have. Hey, well, I'm going to do this and then this and then this. You know, you can't just take, you can't just have your plan and just add Jesus to it. Following Jesus is open-ended. You have to let go of your plan and follow a person. What's your sense of purpose? What are you holding on for your value and your identity? Well, I am living my life because I want to see this happen. I want to achieve this. I want to get to this level. That's my dream. That's my purpose. You can't just add Jesus to your purpose. Following Jesus is a radical surrender to something very unpredictable and open-ended. It's an adventure where you just follow a person every day. Drop those nets. And find the peace and the steadfast love, the predictable steadfast love of a person. And here's what you'll find as you drop those nets. It's okay if circumstances are unpredictable because tomorrow you're just going to wake up and follow Jesus. That's all you're going to do tomorrow. Just follow Jesus. There's a, um, a story I want to just close with. A woman by the name of Louisa. And Louisa lived about 150 years ago. And when she was young, uh, as a child, she decided to follow Jesus. 
and she began an adventure. I mean, an unpredictable, open-ended adventure. So she starts following Jesus. When she's in her 20s, she starts to get this sense that Jesus is calling her to the foreign mission field. So she hears that she's going to, she feels that she's called to be a missionary. So she starts preparing her life to be a missionary. And because following Jesus is open-ended and you can't predict it, she was crushed by the disappointment that she couldn't be a missionary because of ailments, physical ailments in her life. But she keeps following Jesus. She eventually gets married. She has a family. And one day she and her husband are on vacation. They're on the beach. And while they're on the beach, they hear a, a cry for help and they look out and there's a child out in the water and it's trying to, to tread water. And Luisa's husband um, dives in the water, swims out to try and save this child. And in the process, her husband drowns. Once again, unpredictable part of life. I mean, here she's following Jesus. She never thought that, that she'd face that kind of grief. And she wrestled with God. God, why? Why would you allow this? I'm just trying to be obedient. I'm, I'm facing disappointment. Right hand turns, left hand turns. This is not according to the plan. And she wrestles with God. After a season of wrestling, all of a sudden God renews a calling. And she realizes um, he's been preparing her for a call that now she's supposed to take on the mission field. And she leaves. This is in mid-19th century. Leaves and goes and begins to be a missionary in South Africa. Marries a, a pastor in South Africa. 15 years serves faithfully. And then all of a sudden something unpredictable happens. All those ailments come back. And she has to come back to the United States. She sorts through that. She gets better and then she gets the call. Now God's sending her somewhere else. I mean, what an adventure. She ends up in Zimbabwe and ends her days as a missionary in Zimbabwe, giving her life that others may know and see who Jesus is. She gives her life to reveal who Jesus is. But her most lasting legacy that her life left was the lyrics to a song that she wrote. The song is uh, almost 150 years old, still sung today. It's the words of a hymn. And this came out of her season of grief when she lost her husband. And she's wrestling with God and she's asking God why. And to our knowledge, God never answered that question. I mean, how could any one of us understand the answer to that question? He didn't answer why, but he gave her another answer. And she wrote it down in the lyrics to the song. Here's the lyrics to that song. It goes like this. It's a hymn. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. What did she learn and what did she leave for us? This life, it's not going to be predictable. And certainly following Jesus is not going to be predictable. And we don't always have all the answers. But the one thing we do is we have the joy, the sweetness, the privilege of just following Jesus 
and proving with our life that he is faithful and that he is steadfast and that he is a friend and that he is safe to follow and that he has a purpose for our life and he has a plan and he has a path for our life. So church, for Christian, just follow him. Just follow him. Find the sweetness. Following Jesus. Waking up tomorrow and not knowing a lot, but that you have the joy of following Jesus. That's enough. You might be here and saying, look, I I don't know that I've surrendered to Jesus. Maybe you said, "I, I would have thought that I was a Christian But I realize I I just got my own plan that I'm living. I don't know that I'm following Jesus. Here's the thing. I'm not calling you to Christianity. Because I'm not even sure what you you would mean by that in your mind. I'm not calling you to a religion. I'm calling you, Jesus is calling you to follow him. You're, You're being called to follow a person. Surrender to Jesus Christ, the living Lord, today. Surrender to him. And if you're ready to do that, not surrender to follow his principles, follow him, your savior, then I want to lead you in this prayer. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes wherever you're at? Just right there. Maybe you're sitting on a couch. Just bow your head and just lift this prayer to Jesus. You can do it silently. If you're there with your roommates or your family, you can just silently lift this prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I know you see me. I'm not alone. But I choose to follow you. Every step, I will follow you. You are my Savior, my Messiah, my King. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you did that, you just began an incredible journey. And here's the thing, we follow with a group of disciples, with a, with a group of followers. You're, you're joining a group of us who are following Jesus. And so if you did that, that is deeply personal, but it's not private. And so here's what I want you to do. Uh, if you just prayed that prayer to follow, begin following Jesus, then what I want you to do is there's a, a link uh, right there in the comments. that may be coming up on the, the screen right now. And there's a link that you can go to that says cityrev.org slash faith. Would you go to that link, click it, and just ask a few short questions. We just want to celebrate with you, and we'd love to send you a Bible wherever you are here in South Florida or around the country, around the world. We just want to join with you on this journey as you're following Jesus. We'd love to get a Bible in your hands. So click that, fill that out. Let us pray, pray for you and celebrate with you because we're excited you've taken that step. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.